When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 154, Scott Hirsch, CTO and co-founder of the HR platform, Talent Marketplace. And what we actually found there was nobody signed up. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Scott Hirsch and his company, look for links in the show notes or you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 154. As always, thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Braben, and our guest today is Scott Hirsch. He is the co-founder and chief technology officer at the HR platform, Talent Marketplace. So with work experience combining business administration and computer science, Scott's passions lie in enabling business processes through the innovative use of technology. You can learn more about the company at talentmarketplace.ca. So that tells us uh, you're joining us from Canada, where, where you connecting from today, Scott. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mark. I'm connecting from Vancouver, British Columbia on the beautiful West Coast here in Canada. It is a beautiful place. I, it's been more than a decade since I've had an opportunity to be to Vancouver. So I'll look forward to things getting a little bit more back to normal and getting back up there um, sometime soon. I'm, I'm really glad you could um, join us today. And um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, talent is a hot topic um, in, in many circles today, and we'll, we'll learn more about you and the company. But as, as we always do here, I guess we'll, we'll jump right in. Um, what would you say, Scott, is your favorite mistake? Well, Mark, my favorite mistake in a professional circumstance was probably early on in the talent marketplace lifecycle here. So we initially priced the talent marketplace platform for free when we launched on our beta platform back in about February of 2017. And what we actually found there was nobody signed up, even though we we're offering this great platform, this great technology, some free talent and access, all pre-screened right up for free, just serving it on a silver platter for anyone that could just enter the email address and set up a password. We thought uh, it's a deal that's too good to be true. So we thought we would have hundreds, thousands of people just knocking on our doors to get onto the platform, but that really wasn't the case. So what we actually found there was uh, pricing the platform in a way that we would be taken seriously it was extremely important. So, I mean, it's tough when anybody launches a, a, a new company or something that's web-based. Um, a lot of times people think, well, if we build it, they will come. You know, the, 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 the baseball movie uh, field of dreams. And so you, you launch and, and you want that traffic to be there. Um, did, did you have data that, that showed people are finding the site and then at one point they're, 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 they're not registering or they're starting to register and not completing it or registering and then not using it. Like what, I'm, I'm curious what um, you did to sort of try to help investigate what was the root of the problem. 
Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple of things there, and I think you had the answers in some of your suggestions there as well. So like, first of all, we definitely had the wrong mentality to start off with in that we thought if we build it, they will come. How could they not want our wonderful platform, right? Like everything that I build is amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But that's obviously not the case, right? So like we needed to do more market penetration. We needed to do more advertising. We need to have more conversation, do more business development to get the word out about Talent Marketplace and our platform into the community to really entice those people to come to the platform. Because what we saw from the metrics and the analytics was that people weren't discovering us uh, to start off with. A lot of like candidates and people that were looking for work were able to find us already, but we didn't do such a great job on the employer side and having uh, employers sign up. But that also being said, we also saw some bounces from employers that started the registration process and then just basically stopped or didn't use the platform or something like that too. So the way that we kind of investigated that one a little bit further was we just sat down with them and had that conversation. And it's like, okay, so like you mm-hmm. came to the site and like, you didn't sign up, can I ask why? And they're like, Oh, it seems a little bit, you know, sketchy or the, that uh, probably wasn't the precise word that they used, but sure. <laughs> uh, not legitimate we'll say, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason for that was that pricing decision that we made early on to make it free. Because uh, I think if we didn't take ourselves seriously and, put a price tag on our platform, our efforts and our candidates, then they were going to take us seriously either. And so how long did this take to sort of, you know, sort through all of this and come to the realization that the pricing was a major concern and then to start some experiments then with uh, what, what was what was the non-zero number that you all went with? That's a great question. So it took about two months of us like trying to figure out what was going on and like making some experiments and stuff like that. And it's not I remember the mindset very clearly too, because it's kind of like, okay, if we raise the prices, I was just going to make things worse. Of course, we're free. How could how could well, raising you, the price? You think, be- yeah, there, at some point, there's some basic supply and demand. Higher price would mean less demand, but yeah, there's exactly, more to it, right? Right. Totally, totally. So when we started to do the investigation, we started to have some of those conversations with the employers that weren't necessarily signing up right away. Um, we start to discover the reason why. And so that's why in about two months time, you raise the price to like a very trepid 10% of like an annual salary or higher, um, which is actually quite low for the recruitment industry here. And again, I think that was also just us like tiptoeing into the right direction. We weren't ready necessarily to like jump full force into putting our full price take on right away. And again, I think that was almost another mistake that we made because we ended up raising our prices again later that year. And then we have subsequently raise their prices once or twice since then as well. But we're always willing to work with clients that are looking for the right pricing structure for their businesses too. Yeah. So there was the the mistake of free and then the mistake of still not quite high enough cheap, to yeah. legitimate or going from, yeah, I don't, I, I don't trust it because it's, I, or trust or like or whatever. I, I don't trust it because it's free versus I don't trust it because it's too cheap. Um, I mean, there's, uh, as, as time goes on, um, I, I imagine there's, there's lessons about pricing being uh, an art as opposed to being a precise science. I mean, I, I'm trying to remember, gosh, back to MBA times and, and all kinds of dy- dynamics come up like, you know, luxury goods where, you know, something is worth, uh, it seems like an outrageous price, but it's worth that because people are willing to pay it because it, signals like uh, whatever brand equity or, you know, uh, that, that, that might be there. Um, or, you know, there's, there, so there's, it's, it's complicated. I'm stammering through that, my mistake, but what, what's, what's your advice for other entrepreneurs or other business owners to, to try to figure out the sweet spot of not leaving money on the table, 
by underpricing or not did you, I mean, you know, not overpricing to the point where you scare people off for that reason? I love that question, Mark. And I think my piece of advice for new entrepreneurs or people looking to price their platform, their product or whatever it might be, maybe their time as well, would just be one, make sure you value yourself, your time and whatever product that you've put together well. So that means maybe not free unless like you're pursuing like a freemium model or something along those lines, but putting a price tag that is reasonable. So like you make a little bit of money, but it's also affordable for your potential customers. Then also just be willing to be flexible. So one of the reasons that we were able to be successful eventually uh, with our pricing models is that we continue to be flexible with our pricing. So what that really means is, you know, maybe $5,000 at once is too expensive for a person or a business. Maybe that's a monthly payment instead. Or maybe it's say, hey, you know, if you're able to sign in the next 30 days, I'll give you 10% off or 20% off to help make it a little bit easier. So always keep those interesting kind of like mechanisms, levers in mind uh, to be able to make it a little bit more palatable for your customers. Yeah. And you used a word, I I was going to ask you about this, this idea of um, a freemium model. Can can you talk a little bit more about that more broadly of of how some companies use that, that strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So usually for a freemium model, what that really looks like is it's usually a platform or software-based kind of company that offers free sign-up and a limited set of features for free. So like uh, maybe it's a video recording platform that says you can you know, use like uh, up to five videos on your site and they can all be whatever, 25 minutes long, or it could be Zoom, for example, like you can have meetings up to a certain length of time or something like that. But if you want to have unlimited meeting times and also recording your videos, then maybe you actually have to pay a certain monthly subscription. So that would be what a freemium model looks like. Yeah. And you're right. Zoom is a good equivalent, of a good example of that. Um, the one scheduling tool that I use for scheduling the calls, you can book.me, which is similar to Calendly, which is, uh, I think, maybe a little bit more popular. Um, that That's definitely a freemium model. But I'll tell you, I was getting so much value out of the free version of it. I started feeling guilty because I thought, well, I really <laughs> like this tool. I want them to survive. I signed up for the paid tier because I, I I could afford it and it was reasonable. And it, it just seemed like it was worth um, contributing to. It's not a donation because I was getting something <laughs> uh, of value in, in return. And I'm not asking them to raise the price if anybody, <clears throat> if anybody there is, is listening, but it just goes to show that, you know, pricing really is um, really is a tough thing to figure out. Um, one other thing I was going to ask just back and and curious, you know, and maybe, you know, in in the course of answering this, you can tell us a little bit more about how the platform works. Um, you've got people posting jobs, you've got people looking for jobs. It seems like early on when you launch something like this, there's a chicken and egg problem. How do you attract job posters without a lot of job seekers and and vice versa? Yeah. How how did you address that? That's a great question. And I'm actually going to broaden it a little bit and say like, this is the classic marketplace teeter-totter conundrum that we'll never solve. It'll always be unbalanced, but we do our best to balance it. Um, But you're absolutely right. So it is a chicken and egg problem. The way that you start is you either pick the chicken or the egg. You got to start with one. So uh, what ours was, is we started with the candidates because that was a little bit of the lower hanging fruit for us in our market when we were starting out. 
Uh, so we got about 20 or 30 of our friends, all make candidate profiles, very smart, hardworking professionals. And then that was enough to go to one or two of the employers on the other side. So let's say the chicken side, and then bring those candidates, the eggs to them and say like, hey, how about any of these? And then they would sign up and then that would bring on more candidates and then that bring on more employers. So it starts to scale really quickly. But really, the decision needs to be made early on. I'm going to start off with, you know, this group of people that I know or this market that I already have, get them onto my marketplace platform, and then I'll grow the other side from there. Mm-hmm. And when, when I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the founding of Talent Marketplace. Um, do, do you have a co-founder who is kind of more focused on the business and marketing side of things where you're focused on the tech? That's a, a common pairing. What, what were your circumstances? Yeah, for sure. So there was three of us uh, in university that were all friends kind of thing, right? And so we went off and did our careers for like a few years. And then one of our buddies called us up and was like, hey, I have this great idea. I'm seeing a challenge, particularly in the healthcare industry for hiring contractors. It started off as, and we think that there's a great opportunity to be able to automate a lot of this process, build a platform to help facilitate these hires and save them a lot of money. Um, So we took a little, it took about a year in 2015, doing it part-time on the side of our desks as part of our, uh, outside of our regular jobs, of course, uh, to build out an initial MVP at the platform, get some candidates onto it, get some employers onto it, explore a little bit more about whether or not there's some viability for this. And then after about a year of testing it, we really thought that there was something there. So we all ended up quitting our jobs in December 2016 and took a run on it full-time. And then from there, we had a couple of months where we made the pricing mistake <laughs> early on. Uh, but then we quickly pivoted. We managed to get a little bit of revenue into the business and break even in terms of covering our costs and stuff like that for the platform build uh, pretty early on within that first year. And then since then, we've been able to scale the business pretty well. But you're absolutely right. I cover most of the technology stuff. Uh, one of my other partners covers all of the kind of uh, recruitment in terms of helping encourage candidates come on the platform as well as account management and getting those candidates in front of employers. And yeah, we have a bit of a sales and marketing sharing that we're going on that's going on between the two of us as well. Yeah. And you know, you, you talked about that that pricing mistake that you admitted, but it sounds like you know you did a lot of things well or you you avoided some mistakes um that that people uh would sometimes make. Uh for example, the mistake of quitting a job too soon before <laughs> before the side gig um is is validated and and you know, making the mistake of assuming something will work instead of testing the different aspects of it um, that, that you mentioned before launch. Um, so I, I know some of the terminology you used, um, like MVP and, and pivot from lean startup circles. But for, for listeners who don't know about some of those models, can, can you share in particular what MVP stands for and, and what that meant for Talent Marketplace? For sure. It's not most valuable player in this instance, but in uh, business circles or lean canvas kind of world, it's minimum viable product. And the reason that that's so important is because you want to have and understand the most minimum base set of features that are essential for getting your customer to buy. Right. So like as much as uh, us in the technology world particularly love to have every bell whistle feature and it's like, oh, it'd be great if you could change 10 different colors and support five different languages and had this feature and that feature. Um, those aren't necessarily the core value added of the product, and they might end up delaying your launch or being overcomplicated. And really what you need to get out as fast as possible is that minimum viable product that delivers the most value to your core customer as quickly as possible. So that's one of the big common mistakes that we see is like people will get bogged down in their product development and not be able to launch on time or with the features that they really truly need uh, because they don't necessarily understand what that minimum viable product is. 
But again, our, our guest is Scott Hirsch. He's the, the CTO at Talent Marketplace. And we're, we're learning not only from uh, the mistake they did made, we're learning from mistakes that could have been made, um, mistakes that, that other people make. And, you know, startups are such, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much risk involved in taking those steps um, to, to move forward. And, um, you know, testing and validating ideas is, is so important or, you know, maybe stated differently, like, you know, making mistakes, making small mistakes early on so that we can prevent um, a bigger catastrophic mistake down the road. Like, I'm glad to hear that um, you figured out the pricing thing and you survived and you've grown and, and scaled. And, and that's always um, so good to hear. Um, well, one other thing I wanted to come back to this is you know, when we chatted um, the other day before recording here, you talked about the mindset that you've tried to create within talent marketplace uh, about mistakes. Can, can yes. you tell, tell, tell us more about that? I think this is really interesting. Absolutely. Um, it's just an acknowledgement that we're going to be wrong and just which way do we want to be wrong? So it's like, which mistake would you rather have or which mistake would you rather make is really the mindset that we try to foster at talent marketplace. So like we're not running around trying to screw everything up, of course, but it's kind of like, okay, so is the pricing going to be 10% or 15%? They're both probably wrong, but one might be a little bit more wrong in which way would we prefer to be wrong, right? So like we say, okay, let's pick the 15%. That's still probably wrong, fine. But at least there, then we can, you know, move down a little bit if they ask us or something like that. Whereas going from 10 to 15 or 10 and pushing it up might be a little bit more difficult. So it's that kind of acknowledgement that just, you know, whichever way we're going to pick our poison, we're probably going to still suffer a little bit, but acknowledge that uh, we might make the mistake again and we will pivot to make it better. Does the same idea apply when it comes to technology decisions that, that you're addressing or leading or working on? Absolutely, right? So that's that whole A-B testing that we do on the site quite a bit. So first of all, we do our best in order to track the metrics of usage on our site. So like, is this button being used or is this feature being used or um, how can we make it easier for the candidates and employers on the site? Um, we have some ways to track that. And we use that information to make some of the decisions we choose to make around the feature implementation that we do. But quite frankly, we make mistakes there too. Uh, sometimes we roll out features that we think, oh yeah, like everyone said they want this thing. Like, oh, my favorite one actually, I'll give you a specific example, is candidates will often request on platforms like this for the profile to be anonymized or to be hidden from the certain companies. Like maybe they're, they don't want their current employer to see that they're searching for work. It's a very common um, you know, situation to be in. Totally empathize with that, right? Um, so on the very first iteration of Talent Marketplace, we had an anonymizer profile feature, right? It's like, it'll change your first name, last name, just to initials. Um, it'll remove your profile picture and kind of put something default there instead. Um, so just to make it a little bit more, you know, anonymized for them if they want to hide from certain companies, for example. Uh, after two years, nobody used it. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> but even though it was heavily requested. So like, yeah. that was one of yeah. those really interesting mistakes. I don't want to say it's a mistake to listen to your users. That's definitely not the right kind of message there, but uh, it's, uh, you know, something that's asked for versus something that's needed, I suppose. Yeah. And, and that's something that happens a lot. The little bit of exposure I've had to software companies, um, that exact same situation where, where many people will say, we want to do this with the software. Um, and then when it's built, trying to scratch your head and figure out, okay, well, it's there, you know, why, why, why not use it? Um, you know, it could be a chicken and egg dynamic. Like I think of an, an, another initiative, it wasn't a software company per se, but in some healthcare circles, 
um, I was part of a group that was trying to help uh, organizations both in Canada and the U.S. Um, learn from each other. And one of the things we heard a lot of feedback from, from, from different people was, we want a platform where we can share improvements we've made in or, our organization so that those others can, can pull and draw from those. But it was, it was a different chicken and egg problem, not job seeker, job poster. I think what people were really saying was, I want a repository that I can go and pull from. Yes. I want to see other people's ideas. And yeah, you, you go first, uh, fingers pointing in different directions. So like the, tech, the technological capability was there, but then there was more that social challenge of how do you get someone to contribute to the common good there before um, pulling on it. And, I, you know, there's no ill intent from anybody. I, I think it just goes to show if, if we'd agree pricing is complicated, people are complicated. And something sounds good. And then when push comes to shove, um, they don't follow through with it. So have, have, have you learned some methods to try to better validate or do small tests? Can you do a, a minimum viable feature in a way <laughs> to see, okay, people say they're going to do it, but now before we, we build out the fully formed version of it, let's test and see if people will click and take action. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we do very much that like we, roll out a small feature, run an experiment with it. We always, uh, the mentality that we try to take is we do it manually first and see like kind of mechanical Turk, almost the feature to start off with to see if uh, people will use it. And if they do, great, we're doing it manually. And then as soon as that manual process doesn't scale anymore, then we say, okay, let's automate it. We're going to build this into the platform. And then that's kind of how we run that experiment for that piece there. Yeah. So really, really good lessons that I think apply, especially in software settings where you can iterate um, so quickly. There's probably applications to, you know, other service industries where you could try to test some, like you said, less automated version of a process and, and then go and put more effort in once it's been validated um, the best you can. Um, one other thing I was curious about, like, I imagine this is a pretty competitive marketplace for talent marketplace. So we want to talk in a minute about the competition for employees. Um, you know, there are a lot of job boards that have existed at this point for uh, a couple of decades. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear, even if, as, as it goes to your origin story of entering a market where there's already existing players, um, what, what gives you the courage to, to go into that and, and try to differentiate yourselves? For sure. And I think the really important piece there is the market research that was done up front before kind of entering into this business and this industry. Um, so basically, we took a look at the recruitment industry as a whole, both in Canada and across the US and in Europe and stuff like that. And we saw that like it was growing about eight to nine percent year over year COVID side, <laughs> but the actual rebound from uh, post COVID has been really interesting too. So maybe that's something we can talk about too. But so the market research for the recruitment industry as a whole is showing that it was a growing industry, which is really cool to see. And then in addition to that, we looked at the barriers to entry for the recruitment industry as well. And so, yes, it's highly competitive. There's a couple really big incumbents in the market, but then there's also like hundreds and thousands of little guys. So like the barriers to entry into the recruitment industry as a whole is pretty light. Um, and then there's also just a bit of stagnation in terms of the combination between technology and HR. HR seems to be a little bit behind for some reason in terms of the adoption of technology. It's very manual heavy. And I think that has to do a lot with like the people and relationships that are involved there. Um, but I think there still is a lot of space 
for technology and automated solutions to help build those relationships even stronger. People are very important in this industry, of course, um, but I think that there's a lot of space for technology to grow into that. So that's kind of the analysis that we did to enter into the market. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are at the beginning of um, 2022 and it's, it's um, a, a, it seems like in a lot of cases, it's uh, the job seekers, uh, marketplace right now. There's there's shortages of employees, especially in certain fields, um, for for all sorts of different reasons, um, demographics and, and and COVID and and what have you. What what are some of the when you think of what your customers are facing and what they're trying to address and what you're hearing from them? What how would you describe some of the biggest hiring challenges uh, right now for companies trying to compete for talent? Absolutely. You're bang on there, Mark. I think that one of the biggest challenges that employers are facing right now in hiring great talent is specifically for IT technology development, hard skill based talent. There just aren't enough of them. (laughs) It's as simple as that because everyone's like, I want a senior developer with five years experience in React, right? It's kind of like, well, React was invented in 2013. It's only been relevant for about four years. So like looking for somebody with five years experience in that, it's just utterly impossible, right? Sure, <laughs> so it's right, like, right. so the, some of the skills just don't exist quite yet. And like the institutions, like the universities and the coding boot camps and stuff like that, they're trying to keep up and churn out more people that are looking to transition into industries such as technology. And they're doing a great job at it, frankly. And I think that a lot of the government support that exists too. Like I know up here in Canada, there's a bunch of like grants and stuff like that to help whether it's youth or new immigrants or people transitioning careers from the oil fields, for example, uh, into technology, those grant programs and stuff like that exist to help support people to get into that market too. But the main challenges that employers are facing is just they're not enough of those types of folks that are available. They don't, for the smaller companies particularly, they can't compete with the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Googles of the world because they don't have the brand recognition. They may not be able to offer all of the perks as the ping pong tables and the remote work and all the other benefits that might come with working for a big name company like that. Um, and they just don't get the applicants that they're looking for at the smaller companies there too. So it's an all-around kind of storm of different challenges that particularly small employers are facing with brand recognition being challenged to compete with salary and compensation um, and just competing for a very limited amount of talent that exists in the market cur- currently. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like there's a couple different categories of, of challenge or causes to that hiring challenge, some of which are you know, market dynamics. And then some, like the one example you used, and I've heard this from some other technical people I know, like sort of the um, the mistake or the unforced error of requiring five years experience with this tool <laughs> that's only been in use for four years. Like, are, are there times when, um, like as talent marketplace, where you, you, you try to flag issues like that? Does that require manual review or... Uh, what, what are some ways that you can sort of try to help um, a company with a job identify some of the issues that might be preventing applicants from uh, applying or taking it seriously or or having some sort of filter that just filters out everybody inadvertently? <laughs> For sure, right? Like, and that's one of the reasons that Talent Marketplace is different, too, is we completely pre-screen and vet both sides of the marketplace before they're able to come on. It's different than LinkedIn or it's different than Indeed where anybody can post a job and anyone can put the resume up and anyone can apply. Uh, we make sure that 100% of the candidates have a resume review, a phone screening, and they are who they say they are. And it's the same with the employer side too. So when an employer 
for example, post a job or request a role uh, that says like, I need somebody with five years experience in React, even though it might not be possible. <laughs> it's incumbent on us to make sure that uh, talent marketplace us to make sure that the employer understands the reason that that might be challenging and the reason that they might not be getting as many candidates for that role specifically. So that's why we have a, a bit of a differentiator as talent marketplace, I think too, it's because we are pre-screening and helping genuinely both sides uh, to find that perfect match. So that's really interesting of, of, of having some of that pre-screening in place. Um, there, I, I've seen news stories, you, you may have seen these too, where you have people working remotely in, in technical jobs who are in some cases now taking two or sometimes three full-time <laughs> positions. Have you, have you, you yeah, seen I've some heard about stories? this and sometimes they'll outsource one of them to like another country or something too. <laughs> or just, re- yeah, people realizing like, yeah, this job doesn't really re- require uh, 40 hours a week if that's the threshold. Or like you said, they're playing this uh, maybe unethical arbitrage game without <laughs> collecting the paycheck and then farming it out. And you might say, well, hey, companies do that. Why not employers? Like there's all kinds of dynamics there. But um, does, does the screening um, help ensure if, if, if one of the employers came to you and said, hey, Scott, I want to make sure I'm hiring somebody who, who is only going to have this as their job? Is that <laughs> or is that is that overblown because there's a couple stories that got a lot of press? I, I think it's the latter option there. I think they are a little bit overblown because they get a lot of press. It's particularly relevant and uh, relatable, I would say, for a lot of folks right now, shifting to the work from home kind of culture. Um, but that being said, too, like it's not impossible for that to happen. And that's part of the reason why, like, again, like shameless self-plug for talent marketplace, but like that pre-screening is valuable, right? Like if you're going to just pull a resume off Indeed or something like that, and they say, oh yes, I can work and I can start remotely, all that fun stuff. Great. I think that'll work in probably 99% of cases, but there might be that one or 2% that presents one of those challenges. And don't apologize for plugging the company. That's fine. (laughs) I don't consider that um, a mistake. Um, Well, one other question um, for you here, and I'll plug the company again, (laughs) talentmarketplace.ca. is the website. Um, One question listeners might have, we have a lot of um, listeners here in the U.S. is, uh, do you you serve job seekers and employers in the U.S. or Canada only? For the time being, we're mostly focused on Canada, but expanding into the the States is definitely on our radar. We're hoping to get down there this year, hopefully. Um, We'll probably start up with pursuing one of the employers down there and then build the talent pool kind of around that because we're still figuring out geographies. It'll most likely be West Coast, Seattle, most likely as a starting point because it's just very close to Vancouver here. Um, But then we might expand down to the West Coast, like into California, maybe into Colorado or something like that as well. We'll see where we end up. So it sounds like it's an opportunity there to build upon lessons learned from earlier growth and earlier scaling. And make new mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> new mistakes, new learning, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, one other question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on you know, the impact of the pandemic and in particular accelerating work from home. Um, I'm, I'm guessing in a platform like yours, you have a lot of data that would help um, kind of, you know, illustrate, do you, do you have more people accepting jobs in other provinces, in other area codes? I, I bet you could see some of that pretty vividly through data. Yes. And that's one of the most interesting things about kind of being in a technology focused recruitment platform place right now. Um, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic and well, it just like everything tanked at the beginning of the pandemic. That's just the way it was. But like, but coming out of the recovery here, we've seen a lot more power in the hands of the 
talent and the candidates that are looking for work and particularly around demanding like straight up demanding work from home as an option right that i think it's uh it's definitely over 80 percent. i think it's about 85 or 86 percent of the candidates on our platform right now will not consider a job if it doesn't offer at least hybrid like from working from home right and it's kind of like oh wow that's such a big shift even a year ago or two years ago right and it's just it's so interesting that people have reprioritized their lives on that so that's one piece of data that's very interesting um, the other one that kind of stands out to me from like a COVID perspective too, is just like the employer is looking for their abroad for their workforces now too. So like, because they're offering remote, they can say like, okay, well, it, if I pay somebody, whatever, $200,000 a year from the Bay area, why not pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars, perhaps equally skilled from Kansas. I don't know. <laughs> Something sure. like that. Right. So it's like, it's, they're looking like you're suggesting further abroad in different uh, kind of zip codes for their talent too. Yeah, there's there's a couple sides of that coin. One is trying to, like you said, hire people at um, a lower price based on where they are. And then there, there's also, you see articles of somebody moving from the Bay Area to someplace <laughs> with a far lower cost of living. And they, they don't want to, you know, the, then there's this question of like, well, I, I, if I bring this much value to the company, why would you want me to take lower pay because I live somewhere else? That it's It's a tough dynamic. But again, I think in a, a job market where the employees have much more leverage. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to do what you can to, um, you know, to, to maximize your earnings in a, a job you like. And, you know, there's, there's record, I, I, I don't, I'd be curious if there's similar data in Canada and the U S we've had at least five months in a row now of like all time record number of yes. people's quitting numbers of people quitting their jobs. Same thing in Canada. Yeah, I would say so for sure. And like, I think this is anecdotal. I don't have data to support this, but uh, I think that's right. a reevaluation of a lot of people uh, taking a look at their lives and saying like, okay, I've been working from home for a while. It's been great to be able to spend more time with the family and the dog or whatever it is. And like, I want to, you know, make that shift in my career, pursue what I love or like make that decision to make it a little bit easier. So like, mm-hmm. it, it's really interesting to see for sure. So I think there's, you know, a, a final thought um, adaptation from, the story you told. And again, our guest today has been Scott Hirsch. He's um, a co-founder and CTO at Talent Marketplace. Um, again, their website's talentmarketplace.ca. You know, you, you were talking about underpricing yourself and not valuing um, your offering in the marketplace enough. I, I think there's uh, a lesson there for individuals who are listening. Please don't undervalue yourself and what you're worth in your job and in your industry. And um, if you're looking for something new and you're in Canada and maybe shortly in the future here in the U.S., um, maybe a talent marketplace can help. So, Scott, I really thank you for sharing your story and, and the reflections. I always appreciate when someone's willing to come on and, and share a mistake. And I'm glad it's one that you learned from and, and got past. So thank you. Thank you again for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a lot of fun. Well, thanks again to Scott for being a great guest. Again, to learn more about him and Talent Marketplace, look for links in the show notes in your podcast app, or you can go online, markgraben.com slash mistake 154. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, 
myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 